Thank you, Lord, how you bought and purchased our salvation and took us from death into life through the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, the gift that resides within us and that changes us and transforms us more and more through the power of that Spirit into the image of your Son, Lord, which is your your desire. And Lord, we just thank you for the fellowship that we have here together. We thank you, Lord, that we get to share and enjoy this great salvation. And Lord, we just want to proclaim your name to the nations, to all that we encounter, and to give them the hope that is in with it, that is within us. We want to share that, Lord, so that they may come to the knowledge of you. And Lord, we give you glory for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome again to uh, Christ Community Church. We are glad that you are here. Uh, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12 this morning. If you need a bulletin, either to take notes or to fan, Bo's got one. And uh, he'll be glad to hand you one if you'd raise your hand. We apologize for the warmth. We will uh, see if we can be a little shorter this morning, maybe. Though we get to hang out for a long time and eat afterward. Uh, if you're a preschool or elementary teacher, uh, we have a meet. You have a meeting right after this hour in the uh, elementary room. Is that correct? Preschool room, back one. And then, uh, oh no, yeah, front, the preschool room is that one. And then normally there's an adult Sunday school class in that front room, which is always warm anyway. So yeah, we'll think about that and we'll see what you look like in about 25 minutes or so as we go through. Um, we're just missing uh, kind of a lack of walls and some animals, and we can pretend like we're outside, maybe in a third world country, and everything would be good. So uh, we'll enjoy our time together. We're in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Um, we have been talking about uh, how to transform ourselves let me back up even farther. Uh, Paul spends two chapters talking about the wonder and the glory and the, the amazement of the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the grace of God in truth. And he's wanted us to not ever get our minds outside of that truth. Our, our, our theme through this whole series is don't think outside the box, the box being the gospel. That we can't ever put that aside, that we can't allow ourselves to be deceived by worldly philosophies or the world's way of doing things or even some people's way of sanctification which all that really is is legalism rules and regulations that don't change the heart we've talked about how rules and regulations can be helpful at times can help get us from being mired in sin to a place where we can actually see the beauty and the wonder of Christ. But then at the end of, of 2 and the beginning of 3, Paul begins to, to switch gears and talk about if then you've died with Christ, in other words, if you've identified with Him, if you've changed your allegiance, and you identify in His death, which means, we've said, that you too have died to sin. Sin is no longer your master. And if you've been raised up with Christ... Death no longer holds sway over you. If your place 
in His kingdom is assured because you've placed your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If those things are true, then the way that we live then, he says in, in 3, is to put to death those things that well, are of the world. He uses two metaphors, to put them to death, to kill them, and to put them off. We used the analogy last week of if I was an A&M fan and my whole house, my whole life was decorated with A&M colors and then I saw the light and became a UT fan, what I would necessarily do is to get rid of all the maroon and white and the capital A and the capital M. I would remove those. But if I didn't do anything else, if that's all I did, if all I do is put to death those deeds of the flesh, to put off the old man, then have I... Would you know what my new allegiance is? You've seen uh, this picture before, I think, in here. Um, it's a simple diagram that, that explains how we get from actions that don't please God to actions that do please God. Sometimes we think it's as simple as, oh, I've become a Christian and now I'm going to stop what I was doing and start doing something new. But it's never that easy. Occasionally, God will completely allow someone to do a 180 and there's differences. That happens. But usually, the normal Christian walk is a struggle. It's a struggle because for some reason the Father allows us to remain here on earth through acknowledging the redemption that we have, the new man, and the gift of the Holy Spirit allows us to walk through this process that we began talking about last week of changing our thoughts by taking them captive, ultimately getting rid of those wrong belief systems, those lies that we believed, and then today we're going to talk about the top half of that, which looks like grasping the truth. What does someone who's changed allegiance look like? And as we get new beliefs, and as we think new thoughts, that leads to new actions. The problem with this diagram is someone might say, oh, that seems pretty simple. It's a five-step process. Ah, it's never that easy. The reason it's never that easy, and I'll give you an example from right next to my house, I have a garden. And in that garden, there are things called weeds. And I decided this year that I was going to win the battle of the weeds. And so what I did is every morning I went out with the hoe and spent about 10 minutes and got rid of every new weed. And what I found is if I did that every morning consistently, that it only took about 10 minutes. I stayed on top of it. Yeah, occasionally one would get up next to a plant that was small and I wouldn't see it. I'd have to go out and spend a little more time and maybe even dig it out without uprooting the plant. But it was an easy process. But you know what? I still have to do that every morning if I want the weeds to be gone. And even if I manage somehow to remove every weed seed and every root that was underground, you know what? Within a couple of days, I'd still have weeds because I walk up there 
to do stuff and a, a, maybe a, a weed seed would attach itself to my shoe walking through the grass and would deposit itself or a bird would drop something or an animal. Sin never goes away. This process is never ending. It's not a five-step process. It's what we do as believers who've changed allegiance, who want to honor our God. We continue to fight the battle of the mind, kill the old man, put it off, and as we'll see this morning, put on the new man. So would you look with me in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. I'm going to read through verse 17. And Paul does a couple of things here. He reminds us of who we are. He tells us to put on God's attributes. And then he reminds us that we're in this battle together. Reminds us of who we are, tells us what to put on, and then reminds us that we're in this together. So, as we read, would you look for those things and then we'll talk about them. Beginning in, in verse 12, Paul writes, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at Your Word, I pray that You would open our hearts, open our ears, our minds. And God, as we pray, that ultimately our wills, that we may do what You ask us to do. Through the strength of Your Holy Spirit, by the power of your risen Son. And we ask these things in His name. Amen. We need constantly to remember who we are. He begins, holy and beloved, chosen of God. God chose you. Not only did He choose you, He sent His Holy Spirit to indwell you to sanctify you, to make you holy. And maybe greatest of all, He loves you. And remember, this love is not the love that we talk about maybe in this country we see on movies and sing about in songs. This is the love that is sacrificial. This is the love that doesn't give up even when the object of the love does. This is the love, as we talked about a long time ago, when Abraham, who was fairly clueless, and God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And we read through the Old Testament and we see over and over and over and over again, Abraham and his descendants and their descendants and their descendants spurning God and turning their back on Him. And God remained faithful. Remember, He loves you. He is committed to you. Whether or not you really feel like you're committed to Him, whether or not you get up in the morning and decide, I'm going to hoe weeds this morning. He loves you. 
He cares for you. He sent His Son for you. He sacrificed for you. And because of that truth, which needs to wash over our minds over and over again, because of that truth, Paul says, put on something. You've changed your allegiance. You follow one who loves you supremely. As you follow Him, will you wear His uniform, so to speak? Will you dress like Him? Will you put on the team colors? And it's not really literal clothing. It's, it's the attributes of God Himself. A compassionate heart, He says. It's a, it's a concern for someone else's misfortune. Would you put that on? Would you look around and say, where is someone hurting? And, and would you enter into their life? That does require, by the way, that we know each other. It requires that we allow each other into our lives. That we open up and share hurts. And that's hard because it makes us vulnerable because sometimes our brothers and sisters don't enter into our hurts. Yet nonetheless, what God calls us to do. A kindness, which is just simply being helpful in small ways and big ways. It's an attribute of God. He's kind. He helps those He loves. In humility, it's, it's not thinking more highly of yourself than you should. And what that does, what those three things do, they, they kind of manifest themselves in these last two characteristics. Meekness or, or gentleness, which is it's how the humble person approaches someone else. If I don't think too highly of myself, if I'm not all that there is, then I won't approach you arrogantly. I won't approach you pridefully. I won't approach you thinking I have all the answers. I'll approach you with gentleness. I'll, I'll respect you as a person. I'll be willing to listen. And then patient, bearing with one another. It's, it's bearing up under hurt and provocation either. It's, it's Going the distance with someone, even if they're not willing to go the distance with you or they're struggling to do that. And if I'm humble, that's, that's the way I approach people and the way I allow them to approach me. Right? If I don't think more highly of myself than I should, then you can be a pain in the rear to me and that's okay and I can still love you because it's not about me. What that doesn't mean is that when we see sin, that we're not just going, well, okay, sin, no big deal. Paul talks about that as well. It, it's We enter into people's lives. We deal with that. We're going to see that in a second. But I can allow you sometimes to even be a jerk. And I can be patient and know that God is still in the process of working in your life. He goes on at the end of 13, um, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Why do we do that? Well, because God forgave us. I promise you there's nothing that someone has done to you that Christ didn't experience. That may sound strange because He doesn't have my family, doesn't have my parents, doesn't have my kids, doesn't have my spouse. No, maybe not the exact thing, but... But I think when the writer of Hebrews says um, that he was tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin, that includes when we are treated poorly, 
when we're mocked, when we're scorned, when we suffer abuse. It may not look the same as us, but Christ experienced all of those emotions. Hurt, frustration, loss, hatred, abandonment. And He still forgave us. And so He asks us to put on that which mirrors His character. And then in 14, my version says, beyond all these things, maybe even above all these things or around all these things, it's like He's put on all this stuff and the covering that keeps it on is love. Above all these things, put on love. And He calls it the perfect bond of unity. It's, it's like, it's the perfect glue. It's that thing which holds all these other things in place. I don't want to be kind. Well, but if I, if I think about love, that forces me to turn from myself to you and allows me to be kind. I don't want to be gentle towards you, but love, if I'm thinking about what love truly is, that sacrificial giving of myself, I sort of can't help but be kind because, again, I'm not thinking of myself, I'm thinking of you. It's what love does. Love is never inward focused. All of these attributes, notice, are focused toward the other person. As we talked about last week, all of those things he asked us to put off are self-focused. It's what can I get? What's in it for me? That life is about me. And what we do is we turn and we look at other people. We, we forget ourselves. As John the Baptist said, may I decrease and may he increase. And so love is that which allows us to be kind, allows us to be humble, allows us to be gentle, allows us to be compassionate. Then in 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts in which you were called in one body. It's easy to think, oh, what Jesus is talking about is He wants my life to be peaceful. He wants your life to be peaceful. He wants your life to be peaceful. He wants your life to be peaceful. But in the context here, in which we were called in one body, he's not talking necessarily about individual peace. What this means is, when I hear rumblings of maybe two people arguing in church, see, if I know, if I'm convinced that you have all put on these things, I still have peace about the health of this body even when I hear of squabbles or disagreements. You know why? Because I know that what, what's going to come over that is love. What's going to happen is I know I'm convinced that you're committed to work out whatever difficulty comes. If we're a body that puts on these things then none of us sitting out there have to go, you know, I wonder if he gets mad at me if he's going to leave. I wonder if, if I've offended him, if that's going to cause trouble. Let me tell you, we are going to offend each other. I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm going to disappoint you at some point in time if I haven't already. And the question is, 
Do we believe that we're called as one body? Do we understand what sacrificial love means? That means even if Michael acts like a jerk, I know that someone's going to come alongside him and lovingly say, you're acting like a jerk. And I know that he's going to respond in the correct way. That reconciliation is going to be sought. That forgiveness is going to be given and received. If we're aware of each other enough, if our relationships are tight enough and we see that commitment, then the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts because we trust one another. Even when some of us act like jerks, it's going to happen. You can count on it. Someone's going to say something they shouldn't say or do something that disappoints you. And will you love them anyway? And be thankful. And be thankful. Of all that God has done for us, even in the midst of really warm Sundays, are we looking for why I'm inconvenienced or are we looking for why I can be thankful? We're nice Americans. We like to be cool in the summertime and this is inconvenient. We're put out. We're thinking about do we cut this short or Sunday school short? We, we, we're inconvenient. But will we be thankful? Will we look around and say, oh, there's a lot to be thankful for. I look around and I see lots to be thankful for because I have conversations with you during the week and I hear what goes through your mind and how you are doing the things that we've talked about, how you're struggling to fight against sin, how you're thinking about how God can use you, how you're being a light for Christ. When we count our blessings, when we are thankful, it helps us to endure times like this that may be inconvenient or maybe even times that are a lot worse than this that are not just inconvenient, but hard, difficult, painful. In verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And again, if you've been a part of church for very long at all, an evangelical church, we read that and we, we rip that out of context and we say, you should be reading your Bible on your own every morning. You should be studying the Word on your own every morning. I would agree with that. You should be. Young people, especially. Let me talk to you for a second. You need to develop those habits now of spending time with God on a regular basis because if you start when you're an adult, it becomes more difficult because you've already crammed your day full of stuff. But if you're in the habit now, you develop that habit, it becomes part of who you are, life becomes easier. But that's not exactly what Paul is talking about here. That's true, but when Paul says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, he modifies that saying, by teaching and admonishing one another. Your responsibility as the body of Christ is to come alongside each other with wisdom and knowledge from God's truth. And we encourage each other 
to allow God's Word to richly dwell within us. It is a corporate responsibility to encourage us into the deeper things of God. You may say, I could never teach anybody. Some of you I don't know very well. Most of you I know fairly well. And I know that you could sit down and explain something to someone about some skill or knowledge you have because I've heard you do it. Now, you may have gone to school for that skill or knowledge. You may have trained a lot. But you have the ability to come alongside someone and share information to get them from point A to point B. The question is, is this a priority? Is it a priority in your life? And are you willing, even if it's just a little bit, a word of encouragement, something small, are you in the habit of regularly encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ with truth from God's Word? And that doesn't mean, he's not talking about getting on to someone and pointing fingers and always pointing out sin. It's just coming alongside someone. Teaching is a positive thing. Reminding them that God loves them. Now, that word admonishing is more of the other side. When you see someone struggling, you come along and say, here's where you've gotten off the path, and here's the truth. But that still is always done. Remember those characteristics in a gentle way? If I'm humble, I know that you probably have as much to teach me as I have to teach you. And so, therefore, if I ever see sin in your life, I always approach you with fear and trembling and humility. I love you and so I want you to represent God well. Here's what I see in your life. Again, that requires a relationship. That requires that we know each other. You can't walk up to someone who you've just met and you may see sin in and say, you know, I noticed you were doing this. I don't care. doesn't matter. We have to know each other well. And then I, I love this. Not only do we let the Word of Christ richly dwell within us through wisdom, I mean through teaching and admonishing, but as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it's almost like there's, it's, it's a cause, but it's also a result. When we are doing those things that God have us do, we will, as a fellowship, enjoy those times of, of singing. Our, our time in God's Word, our... our our time together will kind of just bubble forth in song. And, and like we sang this morning, and I'm thankful for the many talented people we have who, uh, who lead us in worship. Thankful for Mark and for Brandon, who's normally here, and for Pob as well, uh, who get up and, and help us. Do you allow that time not just to be a time of singing and enjoyment, but a time of allowing God's Word to richly dwell within you? Do you think about the words that we sing? Do you meditate on them? Do you, do you allow that to be a part of your nourishment during the day? Yes, we are praising God. But Paul says it's also how we let God's Word dwell within us richly. And again, it's also the result of a close body of fellowship. We enjoy getting together and singing and making a joyful noise. Hearing you sing, whether it's on key or off key, I enjoy greatly. 
I love to hear us sing together. Then he ends the way he begins. This uses different language. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to the Father. He's saying the same thing. When he says, in the name of, that means as a representative of. It's, it's putting on the uniform of the right team. Right? If, if you walked up to my garden... And it was bare dirt. And I said, look, there is not a single weed in there. And you said, but there aren't any plants either. You couldn't call me a gardener. Right? Until I have that nice, big, red, juicy tomato, and I can slice that real thin and, and eat that, I'm not a gardener. I can get rid of all the weeds, but until I begin to bear fruit... You can put off all those old things, but if you don't replace them with anything. See, there are a lot of good people in the world that don't do bad things, that live their life and don't bother anybody. But they're not displaying the characteristics of God. And if it looks like they are, they, they may be doing it so you simply will say, oh, he's a nice guy, and give him a pat on the back. Our motivation is completely different. Our motivation is because God loved us, we do the things that He asks us to do out of gratitude, out of thankfulness, for His glory and not ours. We represent Him. We do things in Christ's name. There should be no ambiguity about who you follow. People shouldn't wonder, is He just a nice guy or is He a Christian? Or is he something else? It doesn't mean we're obnoxious about our faith. It does mean that we put on those things because sacrificial love is attractive and it is appealing even to a world that doesn't buy this or our God. And it gives us an opportunity to speak into their life over time. As we go our ways this week, may I remind you that you need to remember that God loves you. That He desires, if you have changed allegiance, to really change allegiance. Go the whole way. Don't just put off your old man. Don't just take off the old uniform. Put on the new uniform. Wear the attributes and the characteristics of God. And finally remember that we're in this together. You can't do what Paul is asking you to do on your own. We need each other to pray for one another, to come alongside one another, to build fellowship and relationships. There are some of you who are soon to be going off to college. Let me encourage you. Your number one priority is not to find the bookstore. Your number one priority is not to find where your classes are the first day. Your number one priority is not to make sure that you get your dorm room arranged the way it should be. Your number one priority is to find a group of people who believes this to be true, who will come alongside you and not only help teach you, but allow you to use your gifts 
and talents to mature the body of Christ. That's your number one priority as you move from high school to college. That should be all of our priorities. Not the day-to-day things that, that fill up so much of our mind. But am I, am I representing Christ well? And am I loving the body that He has placed me in? Would you pray with me, please? Father, we are blessed because You know us. Father, we are blessed because You have sent Your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to die for us. Father, we are blessed because You've sent Your Holy Spirit to help us do the things that You have called us to do. We are powerless, God, without Your help. We beg and we plead. We need You to continue to reveal these truths to us. Because we are going to walk out that door in a little while and thoughts are going to come into our mind that the world will send our way. Those seeds of doubt, those seeds of the old man, and they, if we're not careful and diligent, they will sprout and grow and overwhelm us. So God, I pray that You would, through Your Spirit, encourage us and remind us not only that You love us, but that You have given us all that we need for life and godliness. And God, we look forward to the remainder of our time together this morning uh, as we continue to grow and learn and rejoice in You making us a body. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.